Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking some Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And I can hear some people out there going, are you sure? Are you sure you're excited to be talking about some Colorado Rockies baseball with us here on the show? Because the Colorado Rockies have not been playing particularly good baseball. And that's exactly what I wanted to come on here and talk about. Actually, this is a conversation that I've been having for the last couple of weeks a lot with people on Twitter, with my mother over the phone, with friends in real life, with my wife here and there, about why am I all of a sudden so high on this team when they're still losing (laughs) and losing in sometimes epically painful fashion, right? Like I just posted a story today. I was thinking this podcast was going to be all about Justin Lawrence initially. And I decided that was better for an article. And I wrote that and posted it and hope that everyone will go and read it on milehighsports.com because that's a microcosm of the type of conversation that we're going to have today, right? Because for Justin Lawrence, He, until three weeks ago, was one of the best relievers in all of baseball. He had an ERA plus near 200, an ERA under three. He had picked up seven saves and only blown one. Had a bunch of holds before that, because remember, obviously, he didn't start the season as the, the team's closer. He'd been doing extraordinarily well. Now he's run into a rough patch here, and he's given up some runs. When you put into the full context that he is essentially a rookie, it's he's certainly a rookie at being a closer, right? This is his first time in one of the more difficult jobs in the game, especially Rockies closer. That's one of the toughest jobs in Major League Baseball, right? Because you've got to deal with all of the Coors Field stuff that everyone else gets to, but you only gets to, has to, (laughs) but you only get to uh, try to tackle it one inning at a time. And oftentimes with several days of rest uh, or off or rust, maybe in between, depending on whether or not the team needs you. And this year there have been long stretches where the, the closer hasn't been needed because the team's been down so much. Right. So when you put it all into context of that, it's his first go at the closers gig that he's got to deal with all the Coors Field stuff, that this is still just his second year in Major League Baseball. And last year, it was so there was a lot of back and forth between AAA and the bigs and all of that. When you put it in full context, and then just look at his ERA+, plus, which is like at 132. In fact, yep, exactly, 132. He had a very good year, even if right now it doesn't necessarily feel like it, right? So I was doing some editing for some videos on the Mile High Sports YouTube channel. Cheap plug, please go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Lots of fun stuff up there. Recently on the Blake Street Bombers, I'm excited about the Andres Calarraga and Vinny Castilla videos. Uh, but I was I was editing some of that stuff together, and it put me back at the very first video on the playlist. I think it was the second one, because the first one is a Todd Helton belongs in the Hall of Fame thing. But the second one was the very first AMA that Kim and I did from spring training. And I kind of let it play because I was starting to make season predictions. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. Let's see how off I was. And obviously there were several things that I didn't get right. But on that very first conversation, the very first words out of my mouth for this season were about detaching ourselves from the notion that wins and losses are what this season is going to be about. And then I enumerated six or seven players that the season was actually about, one of whom, unfortunately, in Zach Veen, got hurt and and didn't really end up being a factor at the the major league level, right? But almost everybody else that I talked about there, 
has had what I would call a very encouraging year to a somewhat encouraging year, right? So as we go into the final season, or the final season, <laughs> the final countdown, as we go into the final month of the season, as we're headed that direction and the, you know, the story, what are you, if you're even watching, why? Or if you're paying attention, what for? Right, I know some people got their eyes on that 100 loss thing. As I've said before, I'll repeat it one more time here. I don't think that it matters. Other than getting a better draft pick or not, I don't think how many games the Rockies win or lose matters from here on out. I don't believe that there will be overwhelming changes if they lose 100 or 101 games versus 99. Uh, you know, I, I think the team, and for some of the reasons I'm about to get into, rightfully isn't really, and it's not just the excuses of the injuries, by the way. I've seen a lot of people saying, even if they lose 100 and they don't make any changes, they'll, they'll blame the injuries. First of all, the injuries have been legitimately overwhelming this year. When your entire starting rotation goes on the IL, that's a legitimate thing to point out that it might impact your record some. But getting beyond that, the fact is that the Rockies have very quietly over the last couple of years, because most people have been understandably not happy about the Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story stuff and the end of that era and the way everything went down are simply not looking at what the Rockies have been doing from a minor league standpoint, from a young player standpoint, and or have decided that whatever good they see there, like I, I see this all the time. Whenever I tweet about what Nolan Jones or Brenton Doyle or some of these guys that I'm about to talk about are doing, invariably someone will show up and just say, it won't matter because the Rockies are going to be terrible anyway, or they're going to trade them away or whatever nonsense, right? There's just this sense of like, you can't give them credit for having done anything. And then when you look at these losses over the last, like they had two absolutely brutal ones to Arizona and then two absolutely brutal ones against Tampa and even their loss to to the White Sox when they you know you don't expect them to sweep but they could have won that game and it really you know got away from them in a pretty horribly epic fashion but one of the things that I keep telling my mom who wants to win every baseball game right is that if they're going to lose this really is from the most pragmatic and practical standpoint the best case scenario is that these specific players play well, grow for the future, get to a point where they really start becoming core star level players for your team, but also not in a way that it costs you too much draft positioning this year because you're not going to win anything this year anyway. And getting one more or a couple more, because remember, it's not just that the, the number one pick, it's every round you've got a slightly higher pick, right? So giving... By the way, a GM who for the long time before this had been the scouting director and somebody who's so far the best thing that you can point to on Bill Schmidt's resume is how well he has handled drafts, giving him the best opportunity to make the most out of one more draft to add to this group of young players that are up and coming is a good thing. So when they're losing games like this, largely due to either players that aren't going to be on the roster next year or, as I pointed out in the Justin Lawrence piece, you want him taking these lumps right now. Now is the time to do this. If Justin Lawrence and, and Carlos Estevez could tell you all about the sentence I'm about to say right here. If Justin Lawrence gets thrown into the closer role for the very first time on a team that's in the hunt, in the mix, trying to compete, 
and he goes through a stretch like this, three or four games, then the manager's got to pull him out of there and try to go with someone else because you got to try to win, do whatever. You can't give him the space to learn and grow and do all of this now and get back to it, right? It might cost your team a spot in the playoffs. Right now, these, call them whatever you want, implosions, whatever you want to call them, they're not costing the Rockies anything. They're just opportunities for Justin Lawrence to tighten it up a little bit so in the future he can draw on these experiences and go, you know, there was that game against Arizona where I didn't execute poor pitches, but I was so in the strike zone, the scouting report might have been out, whatever it is, whatever you learn from it, because they scored three runs on four pitches or something like that, right? Two runs on four pitches. They just ambushed him. That's something you can learn from, right? And this is the type of season where you want to learn those type of lessons. Now, the Brent Suter thing, that's a bummer. That's a veteran. There's not a whole lot to go on there. That kind of stuff just happens. Again, you're not sure 100% whether or not he'll be on the roster next year or not. But the point is that the losses are only improving draft position without being systemic, right? If the Rockies were throwing the baseball around all of a sudden and making a ton of errors when they've been so, so solid defensively lately, right? That, that'd be some concern. You know the young guys are going to go through some games where they don't hit. Right, so you're gonna have some offers with some strikeouts in there, as long as you're not having too many of them. And for the last several weeks, all of them, including Montero and Tolia, have been much better at the plate. I'm gonna talk about Brenton Doyle in just a second. <laughs> Don't worry. But those are the guys. Lawrence, Jones, Tovar, Tolia, Doyle. And hopefully here pretty soon, the DFA jerks and Profar, he's a sweet, sweet man, but he just hasn't provided any value for the club this year. And they need to make space for a younger player. I don't know which one it'll be. There are a lot of guys in the system right now. The most exciting one would be young Kel Fernandez, but it's probably a bit early for him. Like I mentioned, Venus Hurt, so probably not him. Hunter Goodman never had the uh, prospect pedigree that those guys do, and there's not a ton of defensive utility there. So if you're putting him in the lineup, it's either at DH or you're taking a dramatic hit to your defense right now, which, again, not something you're concerned about in the immediate. Uh, But Hunter Goodman has been absolutely tearing the cover off the baseball this year, just smashing home runs. One of those guys, and Profar has been DHing anyway. Like, honestly, that should just be Goodman's spot right now. They'll probably wait till the rosters expand and maybe not even DFA him and let Profar ride out the season on the bench. But he, they should at the very least do that. They really, really ought to call up Goodman, have him start DHing uh, for the rest of the year and see what they got. And uh, unless they think that Aaron Schunk or Yankel Fernandez uh, or maybe somebody else that I'm forgetting off. The, there's a few guys in that category uh, who could provide them with something. But you need, you know, one more name along with them. But now let's talk about the three guys who have separated themselves and become on some level stars this season in front of our eyes. And I'm going to do a longer sort of in-depth video on this uh, and get you some of the specifics from Baseball Savant. But here are the things that I know. Brenton Doyle should win a gold glove this year. 
Fernando Tatis Jr. is the only National League outfielder who's anywhere close in the statistics. Now, I've talked before about some of the shortcomings of the statistics. They're absolutely not perfect. And you certainly shouldn't base an entire case around one statistic defensively, really offensively either, uh, even if it's wins above replacement. However, across the board, Doyle and Tatis Jr. are in a category of their own, whether you're looking at DRS, UZR, UZR over 150, all that fancy stuff, the errors. And then you go and you look at the StatCast stuff, the Baseball Savant page, where Doyle is in the 99th percentile in speed, arm, and outs above replacement. In other words, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the only better defender. The guy I'm going to talk about next, according to Baseball Savant, is the only stronger arm in the National League, or maybe in, in all of baseball. And there's only one player, one or two guys out there, 1% of, of the players who are whose foot speed is is better than Doyle's. So he's the fastest, best defender in the league. Now, he's also one of the worst hitters. And that's something that I think, you know, is going to be an ongoing conversation. I, I told you about this again in spring training. I said, this is what this guy's going to be. His defense is light years ahead of his offense. And even then, I didn't know his defense was this good. I figured he'd step into the big leagues and be an above average or even a well above average defensive center fielder. I did not think he would immediately and quite frankly, pretty obviously stand out as the best center fielder in baseball, not named Kevin Kiermeyer. And frankly, Kiermeyer's arm isn't there anymore. Uh, and his top speed isn't there anymore. Right now, he's still getting slightly better breaks on the ball and think, cause he's just a, a, a remarkable defender, but that's where Doyle is. Literally, those three guys, when you look at the statistics, there's Tatis Jr., there's Kiermaier, there's Doyle, there's a massive gap, and then there's every other outfielder in baseball. I've talked a lot about why that matters so much more to the Rockies than anybody else because of their massive outfield, because of the difficulty on the pitchers, because every out that you can convert that otherwise would have been a hit a lot of times if your center fielder is doing that he's not just taking away a hit he's taking away an extra base hit and a lot of times he's taking literal runs off the board so yes i do hope and think that in the future the bat will come around a little more but quite frankly it doesn't have to come around a whole lot more for this guy to be incredibly valuable for your team. You're going to need the rest of the offense to pick it up if he's going to be a 45 OPS plus guy, which is where he is. Batting a buck 90. At least you're getting some pop with that. Two more homers and it's a double digit home run season. So at the very least, you're getting home runs and remarkable defense. And then, of course, every time he does get on base, he's just a monster to deal with. Right, basically an automatic steal of second. He's at 17 stolen bases to only four caught stealing. And any ball in the gap is going to score him from first. So he does have offensive value already, despite the fact that he's getting on base at just a 248 clip. If he can bring that up and get on base at a 310, 315, which is big for now, but he is still, this is his first go of it, right? His first 93 games. There's a lot of adjustments to make at the plate. 
And honestly, he should just stand in a batter's box all off season and just do that. I don't want him moving his legs at all. I don't, I, so we got to invest in this young man, get him a, a one of those scooters to just ride around in. <laughs> I don't want him walking anywhere. I want to preserve this young man's legs forever because this is a luxury they have simply never had. He's the best defensive center fielder in the history of the team. Apologies to Ellis Burks. But already, 93 games into his career, he has made more of a difference out in center field by leaps and bounds than any other player I've seen, including when Charlie Blackman was at his peak and the few times I saw Carlos Gonzalez do it. Doyle is a special, special defender. He should win the gold glove this year. And yeah, everyone's got a hope for him to hit. But more than that, I hope the fans and, and, and the people inside the organization push for patience with him at the plate and, and resist the temptation to send him to the minors, you know, to, to try to get the bat going if you think you're going to have a competitive season and you, you don't have another outfielder anywhere close to as good to call up to, to try to get a little more offense out of him. Right now, bat him ninth and let him run down the baseball because he is saving them a run a game almost. you know. On a, and there were some games where he's saving them three or four actual runs, keeping the team in the game with his glove. It's It's been remarkable. That's a star-level defender that you just hope can become a good enough hitter that, you know, maybe he's a 70 to 75 OPS plus guy. He becomes one of those guys. He'll put up monster wins above replacement numbers, even with the below average offense, just from that defense. That's how good he is. And Nolan Jones might be a superstar. Nolan Jones already has a star level package that is extraordinarily rare. I was talking to somebody the other day and they noted that in one game, Jones did something that they think only two other players in baseball can do. He tracked down a ball in left center field running at a top speed that was elite level, right? He's at 81 percentile. So he's not in the top 10%, but he's in the top 20% of runners in the game. Nolan Jones is a well above average foot speed guy, right? Now he's got the best, according to the, and that is the first time I can ever recall actually seeing a 100 on a, a Rockies baseball savant page this far into the season. But according to baseball savant, Nolan Jones has the best arm in the game. Strongest arm in the game. No one's throwing it out of, of the arm any harder. And we've seen evidence of it too. It's not even like you're going, well, does he really? Like, no, I mean, that tracks. <laughs> We've seen it. He's thrown out a bunch of guys already. He's barely been here. And then he also, in that game, hit a ball at 114 miles an hour exit velocity for a double. So you've got a guy with his exit velocity, 99th percentile. His arm, 100th percentile. And his speed, 81st percentile. 82nd percentile. If he makes enough contact, this guy has superstar written all over him, and that's before you even get to the parts where he's already starting to become a leader in that clubhouse. He's already 
taking on a role of keeping guys loose, getting guys hype, both things, right? He can do both. He can loosen guys up and get guys focused. He's 25 years old, and right there with guys like Ryan McMahon and Kyle Freeland, he already feels like a leader in that clubhouse. He brings the energy. He brings the fun. He remembers to keep it fun. And then the the elements of his game are electric, right? A guy who can smash a ball. He told me he doesn't think he can hit one any farther than the one he did, the 483 or whatever, the the walk-off, the longest in StatCast history. I don't know if he was just messing with me because he likes to mess with people, but it was off record. Uh, Not off record. It was, it was casual. He was like, Drew, you just, it was, it was not, I didn't, I wasn't recording, but he just goes, I don't think, I don't think I can hit one any farther than that. I was like, He's like, I'm maxed out, maxed out at 483. And I just go, I don't know, man. I think you've got a 500 foot. Because we were talking about Trevor Story hitting one 505. He's like, no way. No way I ever hit one 505. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think you can hit one 505. I think you could hit a 500 foot home run in a game and then throw a guy out at home plate from standing on the right field wall. Like, there just aren't. So, so the other two players that this person mentioned to me is like, that's a skill set that. Fernando Tatis, apparently he's going to come up a lot. That He can do that. Ronald Acuna can probably do that. That might be about it. Now, those guys have proven with a lot more sample size that they can make enough contact to stay in the big leagues. Right now, Jones is doing great. A 274 batting average, 354 on base, 494 slugging, a 117 OPS plus in his first 70 games with the Rockies. That's, that's great, right? If that's something that's going to go up, in the future, even more great. If it stays right where it is, that's still a star level player. If you've got a 117 OPS plus with the kind of defense that Nolan Jones is bringing you right now, that's a star, right? But if he cuts down on the strikeouts a little bit more, just a little bit, 90 of those suckers already. <laughs> it's always been a part of his game. If he can draw a couple more walks, if he can get under just a few more 12 home runs already in 70 games, but you get that slugging just over 500, 494. We're not asking for a ton here. I'm saying slight improvements at the plate. This guy's a superstar. Now, a lot of people I know think that because of the strikeouts and all these things, that he's going to come back down to earth a bit. And I will say this. I was comparing, remember, earlier in the year, I was saying, hey, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. We've seen Sam Hilliard have a great month. We've seen Joshua Fuentes have a great month, right? We're out of the category now of Nolan Jones having a great month. He's now had three great months. And there, there's a monster difference in that in baseball. Like, consistency is one of the most difficult things. It might be the most difficult thing in the game to find someone who's, can consistently produce just kind of at their numbers as opposed to the streaky and slumpy type of players, right? And what it remains to be seen how consistent he can be. The streaks, the slumps, we've seen a little bit of both, but more or less he's been there. That's what he's been. Now, if he goes down to a league average OPS plus guy, this is still a major get for the team. Again, because I didn't realize the defense was so good. I did not... I knew he had a big arm. That was a part of the profile coming in. But right now, when the Rockies roll out there with Doyle in center and Jones in left, it almost doesn't matter who's in right. But certainly when it's Tolia, that's the best defensive outfield the Colorado Rockies have ever 
had. Part of the reason for that is whenever they had Walker and Wright and Burks and center, they had Dante Bichette and left. <laughs> he was epically terrible defensively. But right now, the, this is as good as the outfield defense has ever been. It's as good maybe as the defense has been, certainly since 2007, around the every single position. And Tovar, who I barely even talked about today, it feels like at 21 years old, we've already come to take him for granted, right? That he's just going to play stellar, stellar defense. He should be nominated for a gold glove. He shouldn't win, I don't think. I think Dansby Swanson's got a better case this season. But Tovar should be nominated. Doyle should win it. And a topic for another time. Hint, hint, video coming up. Ryan McMahon should also win the gold glove this year at third base, finally breaking the streak of Nolan Arenado. But we'll talk about that at a later date. Tovar has very, very quietly been, talk about consistency. After that first month where he was just terrible, Tovar has been as steady a baseball player as you can hope for. A gold glove caliber defensive shortstop who also just seems to put up a pretty good at bat more often than not. Yeah, you'd like to see the strikeouts come down, but he's got a decent amount of pop in there. 14 home runs as a rookie. You know, so you're looking at a guy who can be a gold glove caliber shortstop with 20 home run power, uh, who again, like the other young players, you cut down on those strikeouts a little bit, you bring that batting average up a little bit, and you go from a star level talent to a superstar level talent. But there's three of them. Obviously now in the final month, you're hoping to see something out of either Tolia or Montero that suggests, hey, there's a fourth one. Actually, there is a fourth one. He's who I started the conversation with. Forget about the pitching side sometimes. Justin Lawrence has star-level talent. You don't pitch 37 innings of a 200 ERA plus at Coors Field in the major leagues without star-level capabilities. Now it's about can they stay there, can they maintain there, can they find that consistency, or in some instances, can they even take that next step forward to become superstars? So that is why the last two or three weeks of baseball have been incredibly exciting to me despite all of these really tough losses because those losses, at the end of the day, don't mean anything for the team's long-term future. In fact, if anything, they're helping the team's long-term future. And these young players really are emerging before my eyes from, hey, that's pretty intriguing, to, yeah, Tovar's the guy, to, yeah, Doyle's the best defensive center fielder they've ever had. Yeah, Nolan Jones can play. So now we're going to find out about Toggles and Monty. <laughs> that's the final, that's the, the what do you call it, the st- sitcom. Sitcom for September for the Colorado Rockies. Toggles and Monty, can they join the cast and really shove this into overdrive where by the end of the season, I'm no longer looking at 2025 as the closest the Rockies could be a surprise contender, but saying, hey, Bill Schmidt should go get the pitching now because these guys are about ready to compete. This young group is coming together faster than I thought they would, and inside that clubhouse, they are gelling. These guys are really playing for each other. They're really becoming a team, and I'll say this. For the first time since Nolan Arenado, 
ever since that happened, in a lot of ways in that clubhouse, it felt like a collection of individuals searching for both their individual identity and a collective identity, not really having one, not always feeling like a team. But since the trade deadline, and since guys like Tovar and Jones and Doyle, they never shared a clubhouse with Nolan Arenado or Trevor Story. They are in no way a part of that old era, right? You've still got some of the stalwarts, Blackman, McMahon, Freeland around, who you know, tie it all together. But a lot of these young guys just have their own new energy that they've brought. And the way they're playing together and for each other and with each other, becoming a team again, it's palpable for those paying attention. And I really do think that this is a special group of players who over the next couple of years is going to do some special things if... The general manager can figure out a way to fix the starting pitching. That's a big, gigantic if, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.